Well, I hope you're finding this uh, sermon series challenging on the Ten Commandments. I certainly am. And uh, I normally prepare my sermon on a Tuesday. I then uh, go over it again on a Saturday morning first thing and then a first thing on a Sunday morning as well. I then preach it at the 8 o'clock and then I preach it at the 10 o'clock as well. So by, by Sunday lunchtime, I feel very challenged. Um, but um, there's something about the Ten Commandments that, that keep it real. You know, they are straight down the line. It's very clear cut. There's no kind of ambiguities, caveats. It's straight there. And there can be a danger with this that we can feel like, you know, well, God is all about do not do this or do not do that. But actually, if we read the Bible and we understand the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was all about grace, but it was not grace without any responsibilities. Jesus gives us a free gift. And on the basis of that free gift, he calls us into a way of living that lives in a way that reflects God. And so as we read uh, the Ten Commandments as we work through these, I really want us to hear all this in the context of God's grace. God's grace that empowers us to live the life that God calls us to live. And so we've already looked at do not covet. We've looked at do not bear false witness. We've looked at do not steal And we've looked at do not commit adultery. And in an interview, a couple who had been married for 50 years were asked the question, have you ever thought of divorce? They replied, no, but we have thought of murder. (laughs) This morning, we're looking at the sixth commandment, which is do not murder. Murder is a a serious crime because once done, it cannot be undone. Spontaneous killing, murder in the course of robbery, and terrorist killing are all too often evident on our TV screens or in the newspapers we read. Road rage is a term used to describe our reactions to those we feel are unfit to drive on our roads. Air rage is a term used to describe disgruntled passengers who take their frustrations out on airline personnel. 42% of workers reported that yelling and verbal abuse took place where they worked. 23% had been driven to tears. Most people, the reality is, don't know how to manage their anger. All of us have probably had those moments where we've just let it rip and regretted it. Violence is being pumped into our society in megatons. We have spawned a new generation of movie heroes, Rambos, Terminators, and lethal weapons who die hard. Oh, got a bit of a moan there. <laughs> I blame Jay John. No. Um, there are not exactly walking models, are they, of constructive uh, uh, ways of living for Jesus? We can actually break this commandment also by passive. Inaction. If we send a person away naked when we could have clothed them, we may have let them freeze to death. Or if we see anyone suffer from hunger and do not feed them, we may have let them starve to death. The commandment mandates us to pursue those things that preserve and enhance life. The sixth commandment deals with the protection and sanctity of all human life. At every stage of development, from conception until natural death. All acts of deliberate murder are violations of this commandment. 
because they involved the devaluation of human life. I don't know if you knew, but over 6 million babies have been aborted in the UK since abortion was legalised on the 28th of April 1968. And over 40 million abortions a year worldwide. Christianity teaches us that life is valuable from the moment of conception and the child in the womb expresses consciousness and pain and humanness. And I realise talking about this can really touch raw nerves in some of us. And so at this point, I just do want to say a prayer. Father God, show your mercy to every woman who has had an abortion. We pray for any pain, guilt, fear, loss and grief that they may feel. We pray that this moment may be a funeral for each child as each woman's heart, soul and mind is healed of their past decision and actions. We give you each child and may they rest in your loving arms. If any woman was forced into this decision by anyone, including their parents, please help them to forgive. We also pray for any husbands and partners to receive your forgiveness and healing. Please, I pray, Lord, pour out your love and your forgiveness. Remind us that you're a loving and compassionate God. Amen. Also, there's this sense of uh, violence of feeling. Jesus' interpretation of the sixth commandment included not only acts that lead to death, but also actions and attitudes that cause harm. Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is one of the best bits of teaching in terms of understanding the connection between Jesus' grace and also the Old Testament law. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse 21, this is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say that anyone who is angry with someone without cause will be subject to judgment. Grudges, resentment, prejudice, racism, bitterness and hatred harm life. Sometimes our language is full of deadly, deadly venom. We use phrases like, I wish you'd never been born or drop dead. We say if looks could kill, in a sense they can. Rage, rage and hatred are murderous things. There is a very thin line that separates violence of feeling from violence of action. Married couples will argue and say, I hate you, I never loved you, I don't even know why I'm married to you. Often the people we get angry with most are those we are closest to. I think as we think about anger and as we think about the expression of anger, there are perhaps three particular ways that we can um, think about this expression and each of us uh, will express in different ways and um, the three ways that J. John kind of defines this, and the first one he describes as the maniac, exploders, people who blow up, who throw things, who yell, um, all the angry emotion just simply spills over. We think about the first uh, murder require, recorded in the Bible. It's the murder of one sibling to another, Cain and Abel. That came out of his jealousy and his anger. Maniacs can often put their mouths into gear before they engage their mind. The second is the, the mute, as J. John says it, another expression of anger. Denial, it's repressed. 
Some people don't like to admit they are angry. They conceal how they feel. Some people stoically put on a good front and pretend to feel no anger at all. Who, me, angry? No, everything is absolutely fine. You know, there's something brewing under the, under the surface. We full know well that someone is angry, but they're just trying to hide it. When we bury anger, we are burying it alive. And the third one is the manipulator. Like the resentful spouse who is angry with their spouse, so he or she burns their toast. I won't ask anyone this morning if they've had burnt toast. I'll add very quickly, my wife Ali has never burnt my toast. <laughs> Just in case anybody was wondering, I was using that example because of that. I haven't burnt hers either, I don't think. So. Um, the, the manipulator retaliates <clears throat> in an underhand way. Sarcasm, jibes, little insults, hurtful humour. People with resentful anger get their feelings hurt and never get over it. They're held, by, held back by it. They're captive to it. Family members often hold resentful anger for a lifetime. You may have seen, I have seen it in families where there's anger between two people and they can never move past it. It characterizes their relationship and the relationships of their family for the rest of their lives. So there we have those three expressions of anger, the maniac, the mute, the manipulator. I wonder, are you one of these? Or do you have a tendency to one of these? Probably if we're being honest, we have some issues with anger. But this morning, I don't want to dwell on the issues. I don't want to dwell on what's bad in us. I want us to think about how we can be released from this and we can become more like Jesus I want us to dwell on how can we manage our anger. And the first one is that we need to admit our anger. You need to admit to yourself, you need to admit to someone else, and you need to admit to God that you have an issue with anger. We make things worse when we pretend it's not a problem and we try and hold it in. In order to stop defeating ourselves, we need to first stop deceiving ourselves. I don't know if you knew, but in the Bible, the word anger or angry occurs 450 times. But 375 of those times are related to God's anger. It's quite interesting, isn't it? A vast proportion of anger in the Bible relates to God. Jesus himself was enraged, wasn't he, with justifiable anger with the money changers in the temple. And so there is legitimate anger. We're not saying that anger in and of itself is wrong, but it's more what we do with anger. You know, as Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. The issue is not how we are going to get rid of anger, but how we can express it in non-destructive ways. We need to admit our anger. Are you angry? Have you admitted that to yourself, to God, and to others? Secondly, we need to deal with our anger Immediately, We mustn't let it fester. We mustn't let it cultivate. We must deal with it immediately. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Don't hold on to it. Don't let the grudge develop. People who fight fire with fire usually end up with ashes. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says this, Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down 
while you are still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. You know, when we repress anger, it hardens. It turns into bitterness. Anger fermented in the heart easily turns to hate. What great words. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. I remember having some uh, marriage preparation when Ali and I got married. And one of the things that we were taught was don't go to bed without making up. Doesn't mean to say you won't solve all the issues, but actually go to you know go to bed at night having reconciled, and that's the same for our marriage relationships with our children, with our friendships. As far as it depends on us, let's live at peace with one another. Hot heads and cold hearts never solve anything. A wife was asked, "Do you wake up grouchy in the morning?" She responded, no, usually I let him sleep. (laughs) Do you know, it takes more inner strength to forgive than it does to seek revenge. It's harder to forgive. It's harder to say sorry. Romans 12 verse 19 says, Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it says the Lord. We live in a world of entitlement where we want to get even. We want to get justice. I'm entitled to that. You know, I need to make this happen. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I think there is a place for seeking justice when there has been an injustice. But actually, where we're pursuing it to the extent that it's dominating our lives, that it becomes the only thing that we're defined by, surely we've missed something of the truth of Jesus who didn't come just to bring justice. He did come to bring that. But he also came to bring forgiveness. He came to bring his love. He came to empower us as his people. And so thirdly, we need to understand anger. Anger is usually covering a hurt. If you look under hurt, you often find expectation. And if you look under expectation, you often find a need. And the problem is a sequence of irritating events can build so much pressure in us that some poor unsuspecting person can experience the full brunt brunt of our anger. And maybe at work there's someone who really winds you up and you begin to get more and more angry. Then you get home and you maybe shout at your children or shout at your spouse or shout at your friend and express all that anger. We've got to learn how to manage our anger in a godly way. Whether we're on the road or in an argument, when we see red, it's time to stop. Fourthly, stop and think before I speak. Probably all of us need to hear that. I certainly need to hear that. I know there's been times where I've put my foot in it and said something I've regretted. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's interesting how he puts those three things together, isn't it? We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Fifthly and finally, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And this comes back to what I said right at the beginning. We cannot do any of this without his help. We need his grace and we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live this. I can't live this. You cannot live this by yourself. You need 
the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. Self-control is what we need when it comes to anger particularly. How do we get it? As I said, we get it through the Holy Spirit. God's presence in our lives creates self-control. To have God influencing the way we speak, think, and act. Society says the lawbreaker is a criminal. Jesus said every criminal act begins in the heart. Society tries to reform people, but Jesus Christ can transform each one of us. He can transform us from hate to love, from bitterness to forgiveness, from darkness to light. The sixth commandment is do not murder. Murder is the ultimate form of anger. So let me ask this morning, have we committed murder? Have you ever committed murder in your heart? Have you ever committed murder with your words? Do you need to get a handle on your anger? Would you like to have your life filled with God's presence, peace and power? I know I do. I want more of that in my life. I want more of his presence, peace and power. It's our choice ultimately. Do we choose to receive that or do we push it away? The amazing thing is though that if we have done any of these things, God forgives us. For God so loved his one and only son that he gave him to us. He gave him to us so that we could have life. Do you know three of the key people in the Bible all murdered? Moses, David, and Paul. Moses, who even wrote down, do not murder. It came after the fact he'd murdered. But God chose him, the man who murdered, to actually write the Ten Commandments. David, who committed adultery, he murdered to cover up what he had done. And yet he wrote many of the Psalms He's described in Acts as a man after God's own heart. And then the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote pretty much half the New Testament, the man who went murdering Christians, were called by Jesus to go and share faith to much of the known world. You know, if you've got it wrong, you're in good company. God loves you. He wants to restore you. He wants to forgive you. But he wants you also to manage your anger. On a dark Friday afternoon, anger and wickedness were overcome by love and forgiveness. God the Father allowed Jesus Christ, his son, to be murdered on a tree for each one of us because he loves us. Jesus died with arms stretched wide as if to embrace his executioners. God allowed his son to be murdered so we could be given life and be transformed from being those who hate and despise, those who bear grudges and bitterness, and those who take life to become those who are life-givers and peacemakers. There's a wonderful story that the Archbishop of Milan told. Many years ago, he said, outside the cathedral in Milan, there were three teenagers, and one of the three turned to the other two and said, I dare you to go into the cathedral, into the confession box, and tell the priest a load of obscene things 
that will really shock him. So one of the two says, okay, I'll go. So the teenage boy goes into the cathedral, goes into the box. The priest says, what do you want to confess? He begins to tell him a lot of obscene, inappropriate, shocking things. The priest was not shocked. He just listened. When the youngster had finished, the priest said to him, I want you to walk out of the cathedral, walk down the steps, turn around and face the cathedral. Look up high and there you'll see a crucifix, the figure of Jesus on the cross. I want you to point to the crucifix and say, I don't care. So he runs out, runs down the steps and bumps into his two friends. And his friends are like, oh, go on, did you shock him? Yeah, yeah, I told him, replied the teenager. What did he say? Well, he told me to do something. What did he tell you to do? Well, I'll do it now. So he turns around, faces the cathedral, looks up, and there's this huge crucifix. He points out the crucifix and goes, I, and at that moment, something dawned on him. What was he doing on the cross? Because he knew the story. He thought, did he do it for me? Yes, he did it for me. What does it mean? He knelt to the floor in front of his two friends and said, Jesus, did you do that for me? What does it mean? I want to know. I want to change. He got up, changed. The Archbishop of Milan then said this, I know that this story is true because I was that teenager. Amazing story of transformation of a man who encountered the transforming power of Jesus Christ who had obscene words to speak, but God took him and loved him and made him the archbishop. Many people, whether it's someone like a teenager trying to mock a priest All types of people in all types of cultures can all say, as they have turned to Jesus, that they have discovered transformation. Have you encountered Jesus Christ? You may say, yeah, I come along to church every week. But have you encountered the transforming power of Jesus Christ in your lives? If you haven't, I implore you this morning to say yes to Jesus, to say, Jesus, yes, I choose you. I want to receive you in my life. Jesus brings transformation to our lives and he brings transformation through our lives to other people. Let me ask you this morning, have you encountered this Jesus? Have you committed murder? Have you aborted a baby? Have you committed murder in your heart? Have you committed murder with your words? Do you need to get a handle on your anger? Are you prejudiced? Are you racist? Are you harboring violence just below the surface? I'm told that washing machines have a device called an agitator. In spite of all the detergent, fabric softener, rinse cycle and water, the one thing that ensures clean clothes is the agitator. The agitator makes sure that dirty clothes become clean. God is the holy agitator. He's the one who makes us clean. He's the one who purifies us.